Well, hello, and we welcome you to the World Travel Dad Show, where we help you travel intelligently with your family. With trip planning, money-saving tips, and funny stories, we are a resource for your next travel chapter. We are excited to have you here, and we hope our adventure helps you with yours. Tips, jokes, stories, and overall fun for your ears to enjoy. Now here's our host, World Travel Dad. Welcome in. You found the World Travel Dad Show. This is your host, James Olson, a.k.a. the World Travel Dad. Today is a very special episode because I'm back in the United States. So this is going to be really interesting. Uh, The first part of this episode is going to be a list of things that really shocked me from our trip. Things that were ironic, not what you would expect. And uh, a lot of things really, really did shock me. So this should be fun. And then the second half of the show is a look back at uh, Amalfi Coast with Sorrento, with Naples involved, the island of Capri. And that actually, that originally aired back in April, I think. And it was the most popular episode I did. And I went back and listened to it. And I think it's helpful uh, th- that region was considered a very popular region this summer for travelers and Naples is now firmly in the headlines for good reasons so I will re-broadcast that and like I said back in the states it is very strange a uh, little bit of reverse culture shock and I am exhausted so a little bit low energy today but I'm so glad that you're here. It's taken me a couple weeks to record a new podcast. I am so terribly sorry. I really am. And we uh, let's get started. The title of this podcast is not something I'd usually use. You know, I was learning about how you can implement these certain terms that catch people's attention, kind of drive interest, and like shocking. So I, I use shocking things. That I, that I learned. In, in my other podcast, I talk about some of the sociological effects and uses of language in our media and blah, blah, blah. But you can check that out. I'll talk about it in the show notes. And But I do have a pretty good list here. You know, when you, when you go traveling, you're, you uh, expect things to be a certain way. You've read the travel brochures, uh, which they don't even exist anymore, but you've, you've seen online, you've read articles, you've seen television shows and they make it look a certain way. And that's what you come to expect. Lo and behold, when you get to some of these countries, you find that things aren't always as they seem. And that certainly happened with me. And I think it's a fun thing to kind of recollect on these. I talked to the family, got their input. And so without further ado, Let's start out. One of the first things that shocked us out of the gate was that London was the hottest and driest location. And looking back on the trip, I mean, at this point, I can say for the entire trip, that was the hottest and driest location. And you might recall, if you've listened to a few episodes, we were in Mallorca, we were in Spain, 
Spain's hot and dry, but rainy old London, England, for whatever reason, we hit a terrible dry spell there. Everything was brown. It was not the London that I recall. And uh, I think my family's enjoyment of the city suffered, unfortunately, for me, because I really wanted them to love it. And I think deep down everyone did. We saw Matilda. We went to a bunch of museums. And it's still a wonderful city. But man, worse weather. Um, Next thing. So we went to Czech Republic, which is a lovely country in Central Europe. Just amazing. And I've spent a lot of time in Prague and driving around the, the country. So it's very important for me that I take my family there on the trip. Very important city, uh, uh, country to me. Our, our au pair for a year was from Eastern Czech Republic, and we met up with her. Wonderful country, but guess what? It is crazy expensive. And I had to, like, I had this in my notes. I had to look over it twice. Like, that Czech Republic was the most expensive country in basically lower Europe. Uh, you know, not counting Norwegian or Scandinavia, which... I don't know what's up there. The pricing up there, the pricing scheme is insane. But other than those countries, which were insanely expensive, Czech Republic was the most expensive. We were out in the middle of the middle of the countryside, Eastern Czech Republic, and they're charging like Manhattan prices. And I, I looked into it and I talked this talked about this on the first episode out of Czech Republic, and they got hit with a massive inflationary spike. And again, a plug on my other podcast, I talk about economics, inflation, global, macro, and that is firmly in the topic area for that show, in the show notes. You can find a link. But Czech Republic, very expensive. Now, I did score a massive hotel deal in Prague, so proud of that hotel deal. So we really, we did well there. I, I just had a little bit of insert knowledge. I went over, I went to one of the outer areas and, it, and I have in the Prague travel guide, we talked about those areas. So you can go back and reference that. You got to think outside the box, but crazy expensive. Up next, the worst mosquitoes on our trip were, uh, you would expect them to be in Southeast Asia. Wrong. Uh, Southern France, worst mosquitoes. Down in the Dordogne, we went down for a river trip. And uh, you kind of, you, you descend in altitude from kind of the Loire, va- you know, it's called the Loire Valley, right? Uh, but there are some kind of higher topographic locations in Loire. But as you go south into the Dordogne, you kind of descend into this like swampy land um, it's beautiful. One of my favorite parts of France. The Romans loved it. There are aqueducts everywhere. Old, like, Roman street plan towns. Uh, just tons of cool areas. But the mosquitoes are terrible. You, you kind of get into the swamp. And you, you, know, you bet Napoleon hated those mosquitoes as well. But they were the worst on the trip. We were totally shocked. And we're getting down to the top three here. I talked about the croissants. Look, I love a croissant, and France invented them, although I did hear that the Hungarians may have invented the croissant, so we got to really look into this one. 
I heard the Hungarians, when they defeated the Turks, uh, they created the shape of a pastry to represent the bulge that was required to fight them off. Kind of like the Battle of the Bulge. You guys know that. Come on. Um, and that is a, ta- as a folklore tale, but could have been invented in Hungary. Nonetheless, the best one in the world is in Italy now, not France. Yes, Italy took over the croissant. They do something magic. They put a bunch of chocolate in there, and it's no longer... You know, I said the French got arrogant with the croissant. It's like, who, we, we, who would, who would try to attack this? This is the, this is the French. We even invented the word croissant. You know, but guess what, France? You just got. They just they they picked your pocket with the with the croissant. Best croissants in Italy. They were awesome. And okay, second to number one was paella. Now everyone loves paella. is invented allegedly in Valencia. I'm a little incredulous, I guess, but they're probably right. But you know, when someone says we invented it in our area, I gotta you know, I don't just take that with a grain of salt anymore. But anyway, Valencia probably did invent the stuff. It was good there. But the best paella we had was in France, southern France to be exact, Catalonia. And um, uh, I'm sorry, not even, not Southern. What am I talking about? Well, the best was in Normandy. We found the best. Look, paella, you can tell. I can't even remember the best one. Paella was great in France. They had the best paella, not the Spanish. And if you're Spanish and you're listening to this, I know you're like ready to kill me, but I'm sorry. I got to call it like I see it. France had the best paella. We found a little market in the middle of nowhere, Normandy. I couldn't even find the town when I looked for it just now. It's near Athos, uh, Val de Normandy. Uh, not near um, Honoraire uh, Saint uh, Guillaume. Not not over in that part. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I, I don't even know that Normandy's a beautiful area, but tons of small towns. But I digress, and finally. Number one, this one is, this is why I did the whole episode. There are no bidets in France. You heard me right. No bidets. They, uh, I looked it up. I I like bidets. I mean, that's all we have to talk about there. I'm a big proponent. I think it's a great idea. And during the, during the pandemic, I bought some because people were like hoarding toilet paper, which was uh, just insane. I mean, that was only a couple years ago, guys. So uh, bidets, I was excited, you know, go to other parts of the world, they use them. Well, not in France. And they invented not only the word bidet, they invented the actual bidet, as you would expect. I thought maybe I was wrong about that. French furniture makers in the 1700s invented the bidet. The name means pony or tiny horse. And I'm not sure how that kind of lines up. But France didn't use the bidet. And that was the number one shocking thing we saw on our trip. There were a lot of other smaller things, but those are the ones that we just, we're scratching our heads. Like, um, oh, and then there actually is a bonus one here that I just thought of that I was talking about with my wife. Best boat trip we had was not in uh, Spain or Italy or somewhere like that. It was in Turkey. Turkey had the best boat trip out of Dalian, Turkey. Best price, best snorkeling locations. I'm sorry, not best snorkeling. That was Southeast Asia. We could get into that. But best um, 
best swim spots because you know in the Mediterranean they bring you to these like cove swim spots. So yeah, good job Turkey, and that wraps out the most you know shocking things. Hope you enjoyed them. So Naples, Italy, is one of these cities. If you're an Italophile, you know, if you're somebody that loves Italy the way I do, it's fascinated you for years. Potentially, you've never been there because, you know, you go to Rome and then that's kind of it. And in fact, I was always told, you know, Naples, you can't handle Naples. Don't even try it. You know, they, they try to talk you out of it. You're going to get pickpocketed. It's going to be crazy. They're, they're going to have Vespas. You know, so I'm, I'm supposed to be afraid of Vespas now. Uh, you know, so, I mean, frankly, I'm not afraid of a Vespa, especially after spending five months in Southeast Asia. I mean, scooters, little like uh, lawnmower scooters, that's the last thing that I'm going to be worried about. So we thought, let's do Naples and let's... Uh, you know, guard our wallets because apparently pickpocketing is just a huge deal. I, I mean, I haven't even been close enough to someone to pickpocket me on this trip. So I don't know where people are crowding in. Maybe it's the time of year that, that we're here. I mean, we're not here in summertime. So the pickpockets are not are not out yet. Naples is a beautiful city. It's old and kind of crumbling. Uh, it was essentially leveled during World War II. And I did not realize that, but it was bombed by the Allies. And then later, it was when the Allies liberated Naples, it was bombed by the Germans. So, you know, they got it from both sides. The Italian people, by and large, um, were really not Mussolini fans. I heard a story that after World War II, they passed Mussolini's body around to various cities and the town could kind of spit on him and, and kind of get their aggression out. Um, kind of like Michael Bolton in office space when he goes after the, the printer. I mean, who hasn't been that mad? I totally get it. So in, in, uh, Como, uh, up there in Lago de Como, um, they allegedly put Mussolini up at the train station and people urinated on, on him for a couple straight weeks. They were, they were so mad at what he had done. And so basically my point is um, we shouldn't harbor really any ill will toward Italy for that whole World War II thing. Um, they were very happy when the Allies finally liberated Naples. Naples is about an hour and a half south of Rome. You can get there quickly on a train line, but we flew we flew into Naples, and it is a grittier city, and it could be kind of scary um, for the average tourist, I guess. Uh, but we uh, we loved it. Um, I mean, it was um, I can't complain. I mean, everywhere you look, there's some sort of meaningful duomo, a church, um, a museum. A, a large square, you know, gigantic, you know, basilicas. Um, I mean, it, it just felt like a real fun kind of slice of Italy. 
you know, I think they say, you know, if you like Rome, then you'll love Naples. If you, if Rome kind of gives you a headache, Naples is, is like a distilled version of Rome, like more craziness, less order. And I can definitely see that. I mean, it's kind of a dirty city. There's graffiti everywhere. And, um, there's, uh, you know, urine on the streets, uh, dog poop. But even with the dog poop, the urine, the crumbling buildings, the graffiti everywhere, I mean, it was still pretty amazing. So when you're walking around Naples at night, you need to look look up. Remember to look up. The skyline is unbelievable. These old buildings, they have them flood lit. And it's really, it's really just something else. Uh, we, ate, we ate out um, quite a bit there. I mean, we cooked in the Airbnb as well. I mean, you know, that's my... That's what I love to do. It saves a lot of money when you cook in. The Airbnb has really changed the game completely on that because before, if you're staying at a hotel, you know, Americans coming to a hotel, they, you know, you can't cook there. But if you can rent out a little condo now downtown, you can go pick out your groceries for the day. You can cook a fun meal with the kids. Uh, if somebody throws a temper tantrum, you know, like me or my wife, you know, we're just as likely to... Um, you know, you're not at a, in a public place, but the restaurants were reasonably priced. Um, the people in Italy per usual, the, you know, they're very friendly and I'll get to this momentarily, but, um, I'm very happy that the Italians have their same, uh, laid back, easygoing mentality. They're like, um, you know, if you compare it to France, you know, f- f- the French, the, the French are like the uptight ones in the family, the ones that kind of have you on edge a little bit. And then the Italians, that's like your, that's like your uncle that's just cool. Like you can just talk to him. He's not going to make you feel uptight. He's just cool. And speaking of the French, um, we discovered this thing here in Italy called the Cornetto Chocolata. It is a chocolate croissant. I don't know when this thing came about. I mean, it's been 11, 12 years maybe since I've been to Italy. This chocolate croissant is out of this world. I I can't believe what's happened here. I mean, from what I can tell, Italy has taken the croissant. They've commandeered it from France. France was, uh, they were showing a lot of hubris. They rested on their laurels. They thought that they owned the croissant. They thought, who's crazy enough to to mess with the croissant? I mean, it's ours. You know, we even pronounce it croissant. And what Italy did is they they came in and they took that croissant and they have taken it over is what they've done. They've taken this thing to a new stratosphere. The chocolate-filled croissant, there are other, you can get it filled with other things too. But the chocolate is out of this world um, my wife is gluten-free. She's been eating these things, you know, we took gluten-free and we threw it out the window. I mean, I couldn't be happier. So that's a lesson. You know, all you countries out there, you know, don't be too stuck up. You gotta, gotta watch your back. Italy came and took the croissant. Never thought I'd see it happen. It's unbelievable. So, uh, then we, you know, after four nights in Naples, we, we got a good fill, got a good feel for the city, and we took the train, an hour-long train, over to the town of Sorrento. 
you probably heard that name, Sorrento. It's like you tell people you're going to the Amalfi Coast and Sorrento, and, and they kind of nod, and they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful over there. You know, if you, if you ask them to point it, point to it on the map, they'd be completely lost. They'd probably be, they'd be looking down in southern Italy, then they'd kind of look up north. Uh, but um, it is, uh, it's on the, it's on this little peninsula that's, that juts out. And um, it, it's a cool town. It's kind of like, it's like the working class part of this area. It's a very kind of nice area. Um you know, there's not as much graffiti and, and trash and stuff, but it's within striking distance of Naples. I mean, you can see the city of Naples when you look outside, so it's right in that general area. But really, uh, really nice kind of resort town. And uh, we've been here for about three days now and really have enjoyed it. One of the things, going back to... I, I compare France and Italy all the time because of... France and Italy and Spain are like this triumvirate of like dominant tourist places. I mean, they're the most likely place you're going to go in Europe or one of these three and they compete and jockey for position. But Italy, Italy, uh, continually wins this battle. I mean, from the people, the food and speaking of the people, um, whereas the, the French kind of, um, they seem kind of embarrassed of like Americans, you know, they're, they kind of, uh, they're, they're not mean. I mean, they're, they're very pleasant, but they're kind of embarrassed. You know, when you're, you're never going to see an American flag in France. If, if there's a, if you get a menu and it's, and it has English, you're going to see the, the British flag, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to have the British flag. Of course. I mean, that's, that's sophisticated, you know, but don't put that American flag on there. Don't, don't let anyone see that. I mean, last time I checked, the United States was the largest English speaking nation in the world. I mean, you know, I, I don't think New Zealand has taken, taken over that top spot. I think it's the United States. I think it's okay to acknowledge that, you know, we're kind of an important country. Ooh, you know, how dare he say that? But when you come to Sorrento, these people are not embarrassed of Americans. They will fly an American flag. They view the United States as an ally. It, the The relationship between Italy and the United States, I mean, we really need to cherish that. I think that's a wonderful friendship. We really need to cherish it as much as possible. The um, the the familial ties between. Italian immigrants who moved to the East Coast, especially in New York and in New Jersey. Um, that's a very special relationship. And to see, you know, things called the American bar and to see a, an American flag flying. And, and just before you say anything, um, before you criticize me for uh, contradicting myself, because usually I would not go to something called the American bar. This is not a tour. This isn't to be a tourist trap. This is like a real sophisticated, um, you know, uh, expression or appreciation of American culture and, and, and people. And it's, it's legitimate. And you can tell, um, when you're dealing with people, they're not embarrassed that you, that you only speak English and they're not embarrassed that you're from the United States. And, uh, I want to, you know, 
bless their heart. I want to give the uh, Neapolitans, the Sorrentinos, the people from Sorrento, I want to give them a big hug for that. And then yesterday we took a day trip on a bus, about a 45-minute bus. It was nothing. You go across the peninsula over this mountain, and you get to the little town of Positano. I had heard about this town. It's like the south's answer to Cinque Terre, you know, up north, if you've heard of that. And Positano, I'm more of a Cinque Terre guy because then you get the five towns and you can kind of walk to them and take little trains. There's just kind of more to it, but I got to tell you, Positano, it's uh, it's postcard pretty and it was something else. We spent the day there just kind of walking around the town. I mean, that's kind of what you do. It's off season, kind of ugly right now. You know, the restaurants aren't open. There's like one restaurant and, uh, but it's, it's a, it's a beautiful town. It's legit. I can see why people, you know, want, want to visit and see it. I'm glad we got to cross up the list. And then we took the, the bus back and we're back here in Sorrento. We have plans to go to the island of Capri. Uh, some people say Capri, but it's Capri. And then there's Ana Capri. Um, the two sides to this um, island, or it might be two separate islands. And I'm kind of, um, uh, you know, an iconoclast. I'm a contrarian, so I would probably choose Ana Capri you know, the one that's less known just by default, but we'll see what we end up doing. I don't know if you do both islands, you know, I'll maybe try to update on uh, Instagram, you know, after that trip. And then of course there's Pompeii and and Mount Vesuvius. So we have that lined up. We're going to head over to Pompeii tomorrow and um, really looking forward to it. This of course is the town that was forever covered in volcanic ash and preserved through plaster molds, um, a 2,000-year-old town that was covered uh, by Mount Vesuvius. And there's some good accounts of it because a, a Roman named Pliny, a Roman philosopher named Pliny the Younger um, actually survived it and, and wrote down a lot of what he saw. And so a lot of the written record was really well-preserved and there's a town kind of around the bay called Herculaneum that also is a, a good place to visit. I don't know if we'll actually get to that one, but <clears throat> definitely Pompeii. So I'll report back on that.